ministering the word. Now, as you know, we stand behind a lectern or a pulpit, but we don't necessarily lecture. Our objective is, is to bring a word from God. Now, a word from God can be a teaching. It can, Paul said, when you come, everyone have you hath. Some hath revelation, some hath the teaching, some have several things. And as a pastor, there's numerous ways and means that I can minister God's word to you. But my, the desire of my heart is always the right word for the right time. Come on, for the right people. Let me give you an example of how you can have the, the right word, but it not be the right time. Now, if I were to be invited to Southridge Village, and I were to go there and to teach on uh, Ephesians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, of how to avoid fornication and to keep oneself sexually pure before marriage. How I many know oh, that's a good word? That's a good word. But maybe it's not the right word. But are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so when people, people come to church and pastors feel the weight to a degree of we know there's a compulsion in your heart. Something is compelling you. Something is moving you. And certainly if you're new or if you're visiting, we just want, we want to make sure, well, this is a varied audience here. And so it's difficult to just bring mail to your address. So sometimes we have to draw back and say, let me go with a more of a universal coverage. You know, there are some things in the Bible that are just universal, right? That in the context of doctrines such as justification by faith. We read that a moment ago in the book of Romans where Paul, Paul was concluding that justification was received by faith in Christ. Whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, Paul would later say whether you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, we could add to it black or white or Hispanic, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. That's a universal doctrine that we all need to hear is justification by faith in Christ. Come on, somebody, and everybody said amen. Now, but today I want to just start to delve into something that I get excited about, and it's kind of this excitement that spurred me to come and bring this word to you today, because I don't know where you are, but my thought is, is that, God, if this is exciting to me, then maybe it's something that will appeal to the listening audience today. The great mystery that is associated with redemption through Christ is this right here. Now, let me say that statement again. The great mystery that is associated with redemption through Christ is the inclusion of the Gentiles. That's the mystery that even caught the apostles themselves off guard. The apostle Peter had been invited. Now, this is several years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the apostles were ministering almost exclusively to the Jewish people in Jerusalem and the immediate vicinities. It was the apostle uh, Peter that was invited to Cornelius, a Roman centurion's house, who had gathered his family after seeing a vision. This is recorded in Acts chapter number 9. He had, saw a vision of an angel telling him to request for Peter to come to his house. And Peter went, even though it was contrary to the customs or the Mosaic law for a Jew to go into the house 
of Gentile. He went because God kind of gave him a revelation that he should go. While there, he was given the opportunity to preach. And in the middle of his message, the Spirit of God fell on the crowded room. And all the Gentiles that heard him preach received the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and to prophesy. And I'm telling you, the Apostle Peter, the Jewish apostle literally was astonished and all those that were with him they were astonished that God in and they saw a revelation for the very first time that revelation was this right here that when Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when his final words said this right here it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost that the blood that had been spilled on the cross that day was not just for the natural lineage of Abraham. It wasn't just to seal up the covenant that they believed belonged exclusively to the Jewish people and to be the last atoning sacrifice exclusively for the Jew. But that blood, that blood was sufficient for all men everywhere. Come on, that had sinned against God. And guess what? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of us needed a propitiation, which means an atoning sacrifice. And Jesus' blood was sufficient. When you think about it for just a moment, it was even during Jesus' own ministry that he ministered almost exclusively to the Jews. He said to the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. She was a Samaritan. She was a half-Jew and half-Gentile. But uh, Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. He also said, I am not sent. Remember this. He said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he gave us little hints in passages like John chapter number 10. He said, I have other sheep. Remember John 10 where he said, I'm the good shepherd. And the shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. If any man would come in and out of pasture, he must go through me. I'm the doorway to the sheep, he said. But he said this in that same passage. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. That was a little hint of the promise that the Gentiles would one day be included in the fold of God. He said, there will be one fold and one shepherd. And you may remember even the strong what seems like reproof that he spoke to the Gentile woman that we call the Syrophoenician woman who came down from the coast of Tyre and Sidon because her daughter was grievously tormented with the devil. And when she desired him to heal her daughter, Jesus said to her, it is not meat, it is not reason to take the children's bread. This covenant, this blessing, this promise of healing belongs to the children, the children of Israel, the children of Abraham. It's not reason, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. But when she said those words, truth, Lord, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs which fall from the master's table. That the compassion in his heart said, woman, great is thy faith. I don't really care whether you're Jew or Gentile. He said, I know you've got faith. And because of that faith, he sent the word of God. And just by a breath out of his mouth, he said, so be it. And when he did, that devil had to leave her daughter many miles away. That's the power of his word. And it began to reveal to us how that there was going to come a special inclusion. And so Jesus has taught us and given us insight, just little hints. But if you're a student of the word of God of the New Testament epistles, you'll discover it is the apostle Paul who is rightly called the apostle to the Gentiles. He gains the greatest revelation of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And all throughout his epistles, and I could have taken you 
to numerous passages of Scripture where the apostle is teaching about faith in Christ, how that it brings justification and righteousness, which is the first effects of redemption, and that's for all men, whether we are Jew or Gentile. And we know that the apostles themselves concluded that Gentiles were not bound to attempt to keep the law for redemptive purposes. But that doesn't mean that we exclude the law. It doesn't mean that we don't value the law. It doesn't mean that we don't care about the Old Testament or the prophets or the Psalms because we're in the New Covenant. Because Paul himself said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Whether it be the God-breathed epistles of the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Jude or the Apostle Paul himself. Or whether it be the writings of Job or whether it be the writings of Daniel or whether it be the story of Nehemiah or Ezra or whether it be the poetic psalms of David or whether it be the wisdom of Solomon or whether it be the accounts of the Genesis from Noah to all the way down into Abraham. It doesn't matter. All scripture. And so we are that have been added to this covenant. We still value. We deeply value and we hold sacred and we believe that that is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, that there's no uh, errors contained within it, that God has breathed it and it is, uh, it is capable of producing life in us. And when we read it and meditate and pray over it and act upon it, we will say with the psalmist, thy servant loveth the word of God. Thy words are pure, easily to be received. It enlightens the eye. It lifts my heart. It fills me with faith, hope, and courage. It is the word of almighty God we're so grateful for it today Paul said himself in Romans 15 and 4 the things that were written aforetime meaning the apostles or excuse me the prophets and the psalms and all the things aforementioned he said those were those were written for our learning upon whom the ends of the world have come the apostle Paul in the book of Romans teaches that the Gentiles have been grafted in like a wild branch, like a wild olive branch cut out of a wild tree into this cultivated tree that he called Israel. That we, like wild branches that sprung up anywhere, have been now carefully grafted and placed within this cultivated tree that he calls the nation of Israel. And I love, and I've preached along this line many times, but I just wanted to read this one verse because I, I, I learned to appreciate it more and more as I, as, I, as I have a revelation of the covenant in Romans 11 and 17. It says that we that were grafted into the olive tree, that we that were wild as Gentiles or we that were wild olive branches have been grafted in this cultivated tree. What does he mean, the cultivated tree? He's talking about the heritage of the Jews. He's talking about the fact that, that, that it was their forefather Abraham that God made a covenant and gave him the mark of circumcision. He's talking about the people that stood at the base of Mount Sinai and heard the audible voice of God. He's talking about the people that received the written commandments, the commandments of God that had been penciled or chiseled upon stone. He's talking about the people group that had held sacred the word of God, had the prophets and the temple and the tabernacle and all the instruments. He's talking about that people group and they had ways of living and holiness and righteousness and separations and sanctification and we were a wild branch and we lived like 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 the heathen and we were heathen and our hearts were distant from God and we didn't know God and we worshiped idols and we worshiped foolish things and we did all that we wanted to do we gratified our flesh but then one day but God in Christ revealed to us his, uh, his nature, and then our heart was strangely warmed to the power of the gospel, and then we were mightily saved, and we were added to that cultivated tree. And Paul said this. He said, we partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. 
We partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. And when I think about that, I think about all that was contained in that old covenant, all its life, all its promises, everything that was God-breathed, everything that teaches me what I ought to do and what I not ought to do, everything that teaches me how I can approach God, everything that teaches me the reverence that I should have in my heart, all of that was given to me through the Jewish men and women and through their lives, their ups and downs. And now today, it's been given unto me and I can draw from it, the root and the fatness. It's the anointing that was upon their lives, the anointing of men and women prophets of old as a pastor I can stand before you and I can say God if you anointed Elijah on Mount Carmel then you'll anoint me in this pulpit today God I can say God if you put a double portion on Elisha God then God would you give me a double portion I can say God if you made uh, you know miracles happen in days gone by then God you can do it today why because of that word because I've been grafted into the olive tree because I can say, God, the God that could part waters is that my God today. Come on. The God that could steal storms, that's my God today. The God that could, could cause people to walk in the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes not wear away. Come on, somebody. And come on, and, and God bless them and keep them and give them a cloud by night and a fire, you know, or a fire by night and a cloud by day. That God keeps me and protects me today. I could join my faith with the psalmist David. When David said in Psalm 37, and he said, I was young, but now I'm old. And he took himself through the transitions of life. But the one thing he said I've known, and one thing I've found to be true, he says that God's children, God's children will never be forsaken, and God's seed will not be begging bread. That God will take care of his beloved, right? I'm, I'm drawing. Every time that I do that, I draw. Every time that you read Psalm 23, Every time that you say, God, you're with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Every time that you cry out and, like David in Psalm 51 and said, Lord, when you've sinned against God and your heart is hard and you repent and then you cry out in forgiveness and say, God, take not the Holy Spirit from me. You're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. And I'm so grateful for it today. And, you know, I don't think there's any passage in Scripture that so more carefully and clearly, clearly uh, reveals this inclusion to us as Gentile believers into this family of faith that we call Israel as Ephesians chapter number 2. And I want to just read that with you for a few moments before we kind of take a, a closing journey in the story of Ruth. But I want to just go here. It's familiar. I've read it before, but I'll tell you, I just love it. Come on, thy servant love it. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Thy servant loveth the word of God. I don't know what plight you're in. I don't know what difficulty you're in. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know what struggles you're going through. I don't know whether you got peace at home or contention, but I'm telling you, this is for you. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Come on, it doesn't matter whether you've been saved a year or 20 years or 30 years. This is for you. This is for all of us here today. This will give you faith and encouragement and confidence in the presence of God. This is where the apostle Paul writes here. And he says in this 11th verse, it says, Wherefore, remember, remember that you being in the past Gentiles in the flesh, meaning when he said in the flesh, you were not marked by circumcision as the Hebraic men were. And he says, you who are called uncircumcision, that you're called uncircumcision by the circumcision, which is the Jew in the flesh made by hands. At that time, think about for a moment what it was like before you knew Jesus. At that time, here's what Paul describes your plight. You were without Christ. Well, you may have believed in God. Well, that didn't produce salvation. The devils believe and they tremble. Just say, well, I believed in God. No, well, believing in God and believing for conversion and faith in Christ is two different things, right? And so he said, but at that time, you were without Christ, 
You were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without hope. And you were without God in the world. But now, come on somebody today, but now in Christ Jesus. You know, I've told you this before when he reads the words, you who were sometimes afar off. Now he's talking certainly exclusively to the Gentiles because we were afar off. We were so far away that God in Christ, though, drew us nigh by the blood of his son. You're made nigh by the blood of Jesus. He is our peace. He's made both one. And he's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments that was contained in ordinances to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached peace, listen to this, to you which were afar off and to them that were near. And I've told you before in the past, I'll say it again today. Again, those that were afar off were the Gentiles, but also he came to those who were near. John 1 says he came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The call went out. It went out to the Jew first, and then it went out to the Gentile. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So whether you are afar off or whether you are nigh, the only thing that could bring you into the presence of God, into a living relationship with him that is witnessed by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, not the mark of circumcision of the flesh, but by the abiding presence of the Spirit of God in your life, you are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And let's read this 18th and 19th verse. Through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. And the 19th verse says, Therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. Just get that down in your spirit. I'm telling you, that'll give you liberty. That'll lift your head up. That'll cause you to live your life differently when you know that you are a fellow citizen with a saint and you are of the household of God, that God is your father, Abraham is your brother, that you're numbered with Elijah, you're numbered with Deborah, you're numbered with Samson. If God writes a new Hebrews 11th chapter, he may put your name right there in the middle because you've been added to the faith there's no separation there's nothing that hinders us from standing up and saying I am a child of the most high God because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and it gives me joy and I've, I, I'm no longer without accessibility to God and previously I was a foreigner to the commonwealth of Israel I didn't have promises I didn't have covenants but now Come on. But now I've got a whole book full of covenants. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God are in him, yes, and they are in him, amen. I'm thankful for his word today in the covenant. You need a revelation of the covenant today. Now, I can only imagine, just real quickly to affirm this doctrine, how this doctrine, this doctrine of the inclusion of the Gentiles is really what set the, the contrast and the contention in the first century church between the church and the Jews. The Jews had, had finally relinquished the right that they were going to preach Jesus. 
the early church was going to preach Jesus. But as long as they kept them as a little sect within Judaism, they were okay with it. They learned to adapt and to kind of move around it. But when they began to include the Gentiles, that's when contention and, and, and strife, because they could not see, they could not see what you and I see. They couldn't see the power of that blood. They couldn't see the virtue of his death on the cross and those final words that he uttered declaring it is finished when he gave up the ghost. And thank God today that you and I are not dependent upon a Jewish priest somewhere to go behind a veil in a sacred temple and to put the blood of a bullock or a goat to request a, a forgiveness of our sins. But this man went into the most holy place and by one sacrifice he forever justified all who put faith in him. And that gives us hope in God. I can imagine, though, the apostle in these contentions in the early church, I'm sure that every time that they thought, and the Jews as the apostles, you know, remember as you read the book of Acts, Paul the apostle was always contending with the Jews, wasn't he? There was always contention, and they would share, and he would share. They would point to this, and he would point to that. I imagine every time they said, there's no way God would include the Gentiles in his family lineage, the apostle would go, but what about Ruth? Have you thought about Ruth for just a moment? Have you thought about why God took the time to put 85 verses in four chapters and hide it in the Word of God? Maybe just as a foreshadowing so that you and I would have confidence today. That story that we read, just real quickly, and I'm not going to preach the entirety of it, and I'm sure some of you are saying, <clears throat> but I ought to, because thy servant loveth the Word of God. Come on, thy servant loveth the Word of God. In that passage that we read there in the, I want to say the gospel of Ruth. Every time I've been thinking about it, about calling it the gospel of Ruth. It's almost what it's like. Ruth and Naomi have returned, <coughs> excuse me, from Bethlehem or to Bethlehem from the land of Moab. And I'm going to explain and, and just connect that in a brief overview in just a moment because there's a couple of points I just want to close with today just real quickly. But in, in, in retracing that and coming back to the 19th verse there and then a, a certainly at the 22nd verse, when the time is given, I just noticed that time. It just stood out to me. It said they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. They had been in the land of Moab for 10 plus years. Now, Mo, Mo, uh, Moab was the nativity for Ruth, but it was where... Naomi had sojourned. And so it is a return for Naomi. It is the first entrance into Bethlehem for Ruth. But it says it was at the time of barley harvest. And the reason that that stood out to me just real quickly is that, at that in that era for Israel, that was the, right at the new year. See, the, Israel now today celebrates primarily the new year in the fall, September, Rosh Hashanah, the, the Feast of Trumpets. But in that era, it coincided with the Passover and the Feast of First Fruits. And it was oftentimes dictated by the first ripening of the barley harvest in the land. And that's when they would move their calendar. The Jews would often have to move their calendar because they had a lunar calendar and would only be 29.5 days and would not correspond with the calendar that we have today exactly. So they would have to adjust it. And so the reason why it caught my attention is, is because when I thought about their plight and I thought about how that they arrived there, there was a quickening in my spirit because we're at the beginning of our new year. When people are coming to our church, 
for different reasons and different responses and different things in their life. And, and it, I found this uh, unique that, first of all, one, which was Naomi, she was previously in the faith, but now she's bitter. There was a time that she was better. Now she's bitter. There's a time that she was worshiping God openly, but because of the sorrow and the travail. I'm telling you, tragedy, the enemy uses tragedy. The enemy uses sorrow and disappointment to cause your heart to not be aflame a with faith in God. And you find and you believe, you believe the lie that God's fighting against you rather than for you. And that's how Naomi arrived at the house of bread. And maybe somebody here under the sound of my voice that you're here today because you have a compulsion in your heart that you believe in God, but you believe that God's fighting against you and resisting you and you're bitter against God. I'm telling you, God's got a good word for you today. Or what about Ruth? Ruth was born outside the commonwealth of Israel, but she's allowed to come to the house of bread at the new year in search of redemption. And maybe somebody here is akin to that today. Are y'all praying for me today? Yes. So let me take you on a quick journey just real quick. And let's surmise and arrive at a conclusion. I'll be aware of what time it is, but I've got a couple closing points I'd like to make. I'm 32 minutes into the sermon, so y'all got me a little bit of time left, right? Elimelech was the husband of Naomi, and it was during a time of the famine. If you put the context of this book of Ruth, you'll find it at the conclusion of what's called the period of the judges. If you read the book of Judges, you'll find two times that the Bible says, because there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Even though there was a tabernacle, even though we had the law, even though we had accessibility to God, because there was no unifying point or place of worship and, and where there was no king in Israel, everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And Elimelech, when the famine came to the land of Bethlehem, he chose to sojourn in Moab. I don't know how he left. I don't know, did he go out in humility or did he go out in arrogancy? I don't know if he kissed his family goodbye. I don't know if he looked at them and said, you fools, why are you staying? Or did he feel that he was uh, in shame for going? I don't know how he left. The Bible gives us no record. The Bible only tells us that while he was there, that after 10 years, he died. He died and now Naomi doesn't have a husband. And, and so then her sons grow up to maturity Malon and Chilion, and they took two wives themselves of the women of Moab, <coughs> Ruth and Orpha, the scripture says. And then, oddly enough, for no giving us no reason, no, no, no why, no how, they both die. And there she is left in a foreign land without her husband and without her two sons. No way to provide for herself, no means to provide for her, her, her uh, sustenance, and she's an old-aged widow, a widow woman, and, and so just in a very difficult plight. Well, she hears that there's bread in Bethlehem, and so she determines that she's going to return. And so she calls her two daughter-in-laws, and it's a very passionate and it's a very impacting story. If you read the first chapter of the book of Ruth, she says to them, girls, I'm concerned about you because y'all love me so much. But she said, there's no more sons in my womb. She said, even if there were sons in my womb, she said, would you wait on them to grow up so that you could marry them? I'm going to go back to the land of my nativity, and I want you to stay right here. And the Bible says that Orpha, in a passionate moment, kissed her and went back to her family. 
And then Ruth, though, Ruth said these words, and it was a revelation of what God had done in her heart from the time that she had gotten to know Elimelech and Naomi. That God said through Ruth, Ruth said to her, uh, to Naomi, she said, I'm going to go back with you, and I'm paraphrasing this for you today. I'm going to go back with you. I'm going to travel where you travel. Your people are going to be my people. Where you go to bed at, that's where I'm going to go to bed at. Where you get up, that's where I'm going to get up. Your people will be my people. And then she said these words, and your God will be my God. God. Your God will be my God. Something was at work in her heart. God was warming this Gentile woman who worshiped the star God to the reality that she didn't need to worship the star God. She needed to worship the God that created the stars. Come on, somebody. And she, in her heart, had been strangely warmed to the reality of Yahweh God, and she opened her heart to him. And she sojourns alongside of Naomi, and they arrive in this particular account in the 19th verse that we read today. And it was a very difficult time. There's no means. If you read chapters 2 and 3 and 4, you'll find that, Na- that Naomi is just without ability to provide for herself, but Ruth is very industrious. She just rolls her sleeves up and she follows the scripture. She knows that she's allowed to go out in the field and glean. I'll tell you, God was so gracious. God was so gracious in the Mosaic law. God would allow anybody that could, stranger or, uh, you know, or a citizen of the land, that when they, glean, when, they, when they harvested the field, that at the corners of the field, anything that was left, you had to leave it so that the poor would have accessibility to it. And so Ruth goes out and she just begins to, 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 she begins to glean and the passage of Scripture says, and her hap was. It seemed like happen chance. I mean, in your life, have had times where it just seemed like it was just happen chance or happenstance and that you just said, wait a minute, I don't know why. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that the God of all grace was strategically moving this to this to that and you were right where you didn't think God knew where you were at and God knew where you were at all along. He was ordering your steps and marking your way and bringing you right to the place where he wanted you where he could put a blessing upon your life. In this passage of scripture, we find that she discovers that she's in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz shows her kindness and allows her to come up into the house during the heat of the day and shares bread with her. And it's a very beautiful picture that, that Ruth, when she finishes eating her bread, that she has just a little bit left over and she tucks away in her little purse there so she can take it back home to Naomi. Her heart is compassionate towards Naomi so she can share with her a little bit of leftover residue of the meal. And then Boaz takes notice of her and Boaz whispers in the ear of his reapers and says, by the way, just leave a little bit here and there. I'm telling you, in your most destitute times in life, if you could just see with the right lens, the God in heaven has always left you something. He's always left you something. He's left you a tangible trail of his goodness and of his grace and of his kindness. When he said this, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He meant it. He's always been there for you. And if you're in bitterness today, let me tell you, you got to get rid of it today. God's not against you. He's for you. God's ordering your steps to bring you to a place where he can bless you. I'm only paraphrasing the story that you'll know it, and I know that you know much of it well. But when she gets back, here's the point I wanted to draw your attention to for just a moment. When Ruth arrives back and shares her bread with Naomi, and they start talking about the day's activity, it's in the 19th verse. It's in the 19th verse where a revelation takes place in Naomi's life. Some of you need that revelation today. And you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Look at what this 19th verse of the second chapter would say. I don't know if I told them to put this on the screen, but it's the 19th and the 20th verse. I'm just going to read it with you in closing today. It says, wherefore, this is Naomi speaking, wherefore, 
<coughs> hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed is he that did take knowledge of thee. And so she showed her mother-in-law that the man that she wrought and said, this man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And when she said Boaz, something quickened on the inside of Naomi. And it was more than just the fact that she knew who he was. She knew him to be a prosperous man in the city of Bethlehem. But notice the 20th verse. Catch the, uh, the wording there. You probably have to look at it. It's on the screen now. It said, blessed be he of the Lord. This is of God. She recognized it. This is of God. Now, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, the one that said that the Almighty has testified against me, the Almighty's afflicted me, don't call me Naomi, pleasantness, call me Mara because I'm bitter, all of a sudden begins to realize that, wait a minute, that the kindness of God is still being shown towards me, that God does still love me, that God still cares for me. He's not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead because why? He said, this man is near of kin to us. He's our near kinsman. What that meant is, is that he could serve in the role as a kinsman redeemer. And under the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel, if anybody ever got into a difficult plight financially and had to sell their land, if they had a kinsman who had the resources, the kinsman could go to the person that bought the land and at any time could renegotiate it and pay for the land and buy it back and give it to the person and bring them into restoration. So what took place in that 19th and 20th verse is this right here, is that Naomi had a revelation of the covenant. She had a revelation that, wait a minute, I was in the land of Moab, but I wasn't out of covenant with God. I was in a land where I was surrounded by star worshipers, but I was in covenant with God. When bread ran out and my husband died, I was still in covenant with God. When I didn't have an answer how I was going to feed my family, I was still in covenant with God. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. Day. Everything you've been through, everything you've gone through, all the ups, the downs, the highs, and the lows, all the sorrows, all the stress, all the separation, all the divorce, you were still in covenant with God. God still loved you. He's never, he's never repented of that love and that commitment that he's made towards you. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. If you'll just draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Come on, somebody. That's the father that I love today. He so cares for us. We are in covenant with God. Time would allow you to go on your own time and you read the rest of the story. It's a beautiful power of redemption and it paints to us the picture of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. And for the sake of time, I cannot go there and tell you the full end of the story, all the context, but I'll have to jump to the very end of the story. But the end of the story is this, as most of you know, and that is it's that Boaz, outside the city gate, negotiated with one that was closer to Naomi than himself for the right to redeem Naomi. And in the right to redeem Naomi, he agreed to also marry Ruth and raise up heir to Malon who had died in fulfilling with the customs of the land of Israel. And so in the transaction which took place, the man gave him a shoe. It sealed that particular covenant and then Ruth became the wife of Boaz. You know the story. It's a, some of you know the story. It's a powerful story. Ruth began to glean in a field and wasn't that long before she owned the field that she was gleaning in. Come on, God can do things above and beyond all that you can even imagine or think. And then when Boaz knew her sexually, she conceived a child. And when they got that child, they called that child Obed. 
And then as the scripture says in the book of Ruth, as it begins to close, it says, And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. And so when you look at it that way, you say, wait just a minute. This thing doesn't work out. This thing doesn't matter because, see, Ruth was a Moabitess. And she was forbidden according to the law to be brought into the congregation of Israel. But when she confessed faith to God and she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God, God looked on her heart. And God, by his grace, superseded the law. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he no longer, she was no longer a stranger. And she was no longer a foreigner. But she was a fellow citizen with the saints. And she was of the household of God. And so I'm sure hundreds of years later, when the apostle Paul was contending with the Jews over the inclusion of the Gentiles, I'm sure when they thought they would have the upper hand and say, there's no way God would bring the Gentiles into this covenant of faith, he would say, remember... Remember Ruth, the Moabitess woman that used to worship the star gods, how that God brought her into this covenant of faith and brought our King David right through her womb. Glory to God. Now, when I read this in closing, I'll ask who's coming back to the platform with me today, whoever it is, Daryl, today, just real quickly. Let me say this. As I was thinking about Naomi, Naomi was bitter in her life, and she felt betrayed and abandoned by God. She had forgotten his word. Did y'all hear that? Can you catch this before I close today? When she was bitter in her life and she felt betrayed and abandoned by God, she had forgotten his word and she had forgotten his covenant promises. When Elimelech died in Moab, she had a kinsman redeemer living in Bethlehem. That deserves saying again. When Elimelech, her husband, died in Moab, she had a kinsman redeemer living in Bethlehem. I'm telling you, God knows where you're at today. When she lived in poverty, she had a covenant that promised prosperity. Let let me say that again. When she was living in poverty, she had a covenant that promised prosperity. You know what she needed to do? She needed to believe and to act in faith and initiate the covenant. And I found myself coming to church on the 8th day of January to look at people that I thought to myself, man, God, I don't have a clue of what plight they're in. I don't, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't identify with everybody here today. I don't know the situation of life you're in. But I came to this conclusion right here. If you're in faith in God, if you're in Christ today, then you just need a revelation of his covenant. Because everything that you're going through in life, God's got an answer for. He's got an answer in his word. I'm not the answer. This church is not the answer. Christ and this covenant that we have with God is your answer today. But you got to look to it. If I could say one thing, I don't like to talk about uh, God's people and the word of God. But, but if there was one thing where, where Naomi stumbled, she stumbled because she forgot God's word. She forgot the word of God. And it was when when Ruth came back from gleaning. And she said, where have you been gleaning at today? And when she said, I was in the field by the man, by the name of a man, by the, a man by the name of Boaz, that the light clicked on and the revelation was given. And she was reminded she was back in covenant with God. I'm telling you, that quickly her life began to change. That's, look, think about it, how quickly things begin to change. Suddenly, peace, prosperity, grace, 
God started leaving more in the field. Boaz started blessing here. Direction for it was all over. She was holding that baby boy in her lap, being nursed to it, worshiping the God of all grace. I'm telling you, that's how lives can change when you have a revelation of the covenant. Today, if I can say anything to you at all, if you're here today and you're going through a, a really crisis in your life, a difficult time in your life, don't get bitter against God. If you have genuine, authentic faith in Christ, let me say this, God is for you. He is for you. He'll be with you. He'll comfort you. I can't say everything's going to immediately turn around. Everything didn't immediately turn around for Naomi. It was little by little, day by day, progressively, God brought her out, brought her to a better place. God will do that for you. Does that make sense today? Let me say, if you're not in faith today, you may feel like Ruth. You may feel like, man, I'm a stranger to all this. I'm a stranger to everything around me today. But I feel something. Tell you, you can be added. You can be born into God's kingdom. You know, this one giant family here today, and you know how we joined? It wasn't through signing a piece of paper. We joined by faith, by faith in Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed, and we'll give a twofold invitation today. Number one, if you're here and you can identify with Ruth, and you'd say, Pastor, and I, I've been raised a heathen. <laughs> I've lived a heathen life. I've lived the life of a Gentile. I understand what you're talking about. I didn't have knowledge of God. I didn't know God. I, I, don't, I wasn't brought to Sunday school. I wasn't brought to church. Man, everything that we're doing here, everything you're doing is foreign to me. But somehow my heart is being warmed. And I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to believe in God. Pastor, would you pray with me? If that's you, if you'll slip your hand up.